Welcome to the Guide Me Glow podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Tang, and I'm a holistic health coach that is here to help you become your glowier self mentally, physically, and spiritually. I'm a lifestyle and wellness content creator and founder of the wellness platform, Guide Me Glow. In this podcast, I share my journey and knowledge on all things self-development, manifesting, confidence, healing your relationship with food and body, and so much more. Follow for weekly episodes to listen to on your Glow Girl Walk. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode on the Guide Me Glow podcast. Today we have a really exciting episode because we have Yanis Blums here, which I'm so excited for you guys to listen to this episode. Honestly, it's one of those really educational ones. So it's really long, but honestly, go on a really long walk or just kind of listen to it whilst you're just chilling and, you know, take some notes as well because honestly, you guys, this is really, really great information to know. He is a man of many talents, um, as you will hear as he goes on to explain about himself and how he started his health and fitness journey, but he is known as a personal trainer here in Sydney. He trains IMG and Chic Models um, and also at a gym called Sweaty Soul. Um, and he honestly has a wealth of knowledge behind him. Um, so that's why I wanted to get him on the podcast because I just wanted to, you know, pick his brain a bit and share with you guys all this valuable information. Um, already the tips that he's given me, I've implemented them into my life and I feel like, I don't know, it's just improved my lifestyle so much already as well. So I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this. We chat about how he got into his health and fitness journey, um, why it's not just calories in and calories out and how to actually, you know, create a lifestyle that's based on longevity and health. Um, And then we talk about the ways of training, ways of eating and how it syncs with timing and just everything that basically you need to know to become a happy person. So yeah, without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hi, Anis. Welcome to the Guide Me Glow podcast. I'm so excited to have you on here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, my first podcast, so um, a little nervous, but uh, I'm going to enjoy the chat. (laughs) No, Jamie, you're my second guest on oh, here, so I'm really excited to chat with that. you. For those who don't know who you are, do you want to do a little intro, a bit about you, how you got started with your health and fitness journey, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess I've been doing PT for probably a little over 10 years now, and I have always been to health and fitness. I grew up playing a lot of sports. Um, I was one of those kids that just would always be running around, trying everything, um, my sort of, I guess, athletics and, and AFL were my two sports that I grew up playing. And um, I sort of wanted to pursue both of those. However, um, I was doing really well in, in, in uh, high jump in, and I was sort of winning nationals there. And so I kind of went that way instead of AFL. Um, and then I kind of started taking up AFL when I was at uni again. Um, and from there, I was getting injured a lot and I joined the five fire department whilst I was studying at university, um, which I did psychology and neuroscience and got into the fire brigade um, during university, was playing my AFL. And then just with all the injuries and stuff, the fire brigade weren't so happy with me because I was always off the truck um, and on light duties because I just had a lot of injuries that come with the sport. So I, um, I gave the sport up and decided to go and do my cert three and four in personal training. And, uh, 
from there, I guess I finished uni and I, I was thinking about going back and doing honours or something like that. But uh, I was enjoying the fire brigade at the time. And then I started to really enjoy the PT. And then I guess from there, it's sort of just my, I started outdoors. It was funny. I was, I was in a park with a little bit of equipment and had a few friends coming over and just doing all the kind of, I guess that's probably how most PTs start. And uh, what I quickly realized was that a lot of people um, present really differently with different sort of issues or um, what we kind of call dysfunctions or asymmetries and things. And so I guess from there with my university experience, I just started to research all the things that were presenting in front of me from all the different clients that I, that I had. And, um, and my PT went from in the park into the corporate sector and I started doing a lot of work for the Sydney Opera House and Apple and, Ma and um, Microsoft and Hamilton Island and News Corp. And I was doing a lot of uh, health and fitness inside their buildings using their gyms and um, started to work with some companies uh, in uh, like Blackroll, who's from Germany here in sort of the mobility area and, and really working with corporates um, and how we can improve their their lifestyle, but also their, um, I guess, their lifestyle in the office as well for their for their health and their movement and their body. Um, and then, yeah, then I got approached by the guy that was owned Sweaty Soul and he was just starting up the gym. That's the gym I work out of now. And it's a little boutique PT studio gym. Uh, we do run some classes in the morning and the evening. And uh, and he was someone that um, I'd been approached a lot, but uh, he was someone I just really resonated with. And, um, and we set up Sweaty mm -hmm. Soul and I've been in there uh, for about, I think we've been going since 2017 now. And um, I guess with the PT in there, there was, a, there was a, a young lady called Lotta who was from Finland, who was a, a model and um, with Sheik here. And she walked past and uh, yeah, she came inside and we had a PT session. And then uh, from there, word of mouth sort of grew. And then Sheik kind of heard about me and I started doing the workshops for their, their younger talent. Um, and that was sort of involving movement, but also nutrition and um, and then IMG came on board and I guess the word must have spread and they contacted me and asked if I would like to um, be their personal trainer for the girls that are in town and um, when they come aboard. And, and I was like, absolutely, like IMG is a massive worldwide kind of uh, company. And mm -hmm. so I was pretty stoked. And uh, and then from there, it's just, uh, it's just grown. And I think it's more just the, I think it's word of mouth that really sort of just really enhanced my career. I've never really, I've been fortunate. I've never really had to advertise or anything like that. It's just always been, um, I guess, positive vibes coming out of the gym when people leave. And I guess, you know, with my knowledge now and, and, and my approach to training, I think um, there's, a, there's a lot of professionalism there. There's a lot of, I think people feel safe and, and, and it feels really good. I think that what they, what I learned in my studies, particularly through neuroscience and psychology, is how the body works uh, and, and more so how movement and the brain work together. And so I think when people come yeah. in, they, it feels natural and it doesn't feel, obviously there's still a stress component with that, especially with the strength and the cardiovascular, but it, it, there's a slightly different approach that I bring forth. And, and a lot of that revolves around health and longevity of the human body um, and the mind and then also a, a really high um, safety value as well because I think with my AFL career and the injuries I went through I really began to know that there's a huge mental and physical toll when you are ill or injured and um, and so that's the last thing I want to put my clients through through poor coaching or just negligence in, in that case so yeah I, I really look after my clients as, as, as the most highest sort of 
um, you know, valley that I can and to be safe yeah. and, and feel good, but get stronger. And, and um, yeah, I, I guess that's how it all grew. Yeah. yeah. Like, I feel like that's such a story behind it. Like how you first started playing sports and you're always an active child to, do, to obviously what you're mm. doing now. And I think that's how I found out about you. I remember cause we, so for our listeners, we met through a mutual right. friend um at a friend's birthday and then we started chatting about fitness and all that kind of stuff and bonded over that after speaking to you I think I then remembered I think I saw a few of my friends at Sweaty Soul and like you must have been personal training them and I would just see yeah so it's like I definitely think that word of mouth is probably the biggest way especially in Sydney to kind of yeah kind of like spread yeah and and I think I'm fortunate I think the the modeling industry thing it seems it's funny how life works out like Everything that uh, I guess I've experienced and uh, I've gone through in life, it's all just come together Um, and every little aspect of it from the firefighting to the footy days to the AFL days to my Mm -hmm. mom who was a model with Vivian's back in the day. So I I actually just grew up with having a mom that was a model and I was doing a little bit when I was like five and six and like, and you, and you just learn about the, about the industry. And so I was following her around and, and grew up through that industry. So I think that was just something that helped me in this space where I understand the industry. I understand the professionalism, the hard work, the rejection, what the girls go through. And I can, I can really mm-hmm. empathize and relate to, to all of that. And I know what the agencies are looking for um, in terms of, you know, when it comes to how they want the girls to present for, for jobs. And, and, and it's like the gym for a model is it's, it's work, you know, it, that it's an yeah. athlete needs to keep their body into a certain shape and train for a certain ability. And, and, and the models are they're doing exactly the same thing. So, um, and yeah. so it's, 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 we try and make it fun, but at the end of the day, it's, it's part of their work, um, as, as is their nutrition yeah. and the rest of their lifestyle. So. Yeah, that's so true. And it's kind of funny how it's all kind of come full circle Ooh. for you everything is kind of just merged yeah it's crazy one. how life does but that. with that how you were saying how with like model uh, training models it's like a certain you know what they're looking for in the agencies and mm. things like that what how has that impact your method of training um i don't think it's changed my my direction in in my approach or my strategy to change to training i think it's um mm. it kind of shows that my training um complements what they're after anyway uh, my approach to training has always been about health and longevity like the the musculoskeletal system yeah. of the human body is designed to last about 110 years it should but if we look out in society mm-hmm. today that, that you can you can clearly see that probably there's like half of that 55 years in there's a lot of people out there that are going through postural issues or you know they that they, they're, they're not walking well and their gait cycles off and and so we can see that something in society is really impacting us and our, our posture and our ability to move well. And that's what really interested me. And so my approach to training has always been to try and have the human body and the, the musculoskeletal system last for 110 years. So you can still be strong without having to go overboard if I'm a professional athlete and I need to get to a certain level of strength and I need to train power and all these things, then, then so be it. I'll put my body through that. But there's a, there's always like a bit of a sacrifice. It's like a cost that comes with that. You, you know, you, you, you don't see these really strong people with the weight belts and the straps around their knees and their elbows and stuff like there's a cost on that 
on the human body for wanting to be that strong because over time, tendons and ligaments and things do break down. The general population don't need to mm -hmm. be that strong. How strong do they need to be? Well, just strong enough, like to go through life and to deal with life and to feel good. And so when it comes to the general population and, 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 and the models and everyone else I train, it's like we want to make sure that they move really well, first of all, um, that they've got the right amount of stability and mobility to support good movement. And then based on those foundations, we'll go and build up their strength. And then if they need to, then we can do some more power work and speed work um, because there's a, there's a whole new side of neuros, um, of the nervous system that can be strengthened from the speed work and those adaptations as well. But it's like, I don't do a lot of say back squats with a barbell on the backs with the girls. You won't see that in my videos. It's just not necessary because I don't feel that we need to load up the spine with 50 or 60 kilos, um, on a girl that may not even weigh that much when we can, we can use weights. Uh, and single leg work um, when done right and still get just as much um, sort of stress on the body or in that particular muscle group that we're trying to target without having to load up the spine in that, in that manner. Um, and so that's always been my approach to training is about the health and longevity of the human body. Body weight work that we do yeah. that like if you, people that come in for the first time, most of that first session is just body weight and mm -hmm. it's hard. It's like, when you yeah. know how to manipulate gravity to create strength, then you can um, you can make people stronger without even having weights. Yeah, because I feel like when people think of weight training, it is kind of the standard, um, I guess you could say like bodybuilding type workouts. So like the squats with the barbell and the deadlifts and the hip thrust and all that stuff. So how come you don't kind of use that method and what kind of method of training, like what would like an, a session with you kind of look like? Yeah. When you train with girls. So going back to the first part, there is still a substantial, like in strength training that we have these, what we call the, the foundational strength movements. That is your squat, your deadlift, you know, your lunge pattern, your push and pull in the horizontal and mm -hmm. your push and pull in the vertical. Um, so that's like your chin ups with your shoulder press or your push up with your, your row. Um, and then we also have carries. Now we do all of those things. It's just mm -hmm. the way that I do a squat is not necessarily a barbell back squat. It is probably more like a front uh, loaded, what we call a goblet squat. We're holding a dumbbell in front of us and then, and then squatting that way. And the mm -hmm. reason I do that is because holding that dumbbell tones the arms because it's got an isometric contraction where your arms are holding it for some time. You're also then using your core to stabilize the spine because the weight is above your core. And then you're performing your squat movement. So whilst we might not be developing massive glutes because we're not loading the glutes up with really, really heavy weights, we're, we're, we're still strengthening the glutes without maybe creating as much size. And then we're strengthening the arms and the core and, and everything together in, in that way um, whilst not compromising the spine um, or the joints. So... Um, and most people will progress through a bodyweight squat to a box squat to a goblet squat and then into the back squat. It's just we just mm. don't take it that far because we don't need to. We'll, we'll do more single leg work like a split squat or a rear foot elevated split squat, otherwise known as Bulgarian split squats. Um, yeah, and they're vicious. So they're, they're like nasty. Like, and yet <laughs> you, can, you can have half the weight all on the one leg. And so instead of having to put 50 kilos on the spine, you, you know, you can use 20 kilos and your core's working really hard and your arms working really hard and your legs are definitely working really hard if you've ever done those before. 
Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's you're still using the same foundational uh, strength training movements. It's there's just a slight tweak, or I guess um, intelligence about the strategy that's more designed towards longevity and health of that of the musculoskeletal system, as opposed to driving strength gain. So it's really about the aim. What, what What's the strategy? What's the aim? What, what do you want to get out of that? Um, yeah. And the girls, like I said, they don't need to build lots of muscle. Um, they just need to be strong enough. And, um, you know, once you start to lift those, those heavy, heavy weights and a high nutritional diet inside of that with like lots of calories, then you're going to start to be building weights. But a lot of these girls, especially the models, they don't need to be building and developing muscle per se. They just need to be um, you know, keeping their, their bodies lean and toned and then also strong for their, for their environment that they have to put themselves through. Yeah, I guess it is just like about what you're trying to achieve because with modeling, you, it is more of the toned, long, lean look. And then if you're obviously using really, really heavy muscle, that's going to be like a slightly different look. But yeah. for me, I love doing um, half weight training at the gym and I do do things like the barbell squats and deadlifts and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But I also do Pilates because I feel like the mix is really great for me because then with Pilates, you're kind of stretching the muscles and like that's where the elongating comes along. Whereas before when I found like I was just doing like five, six times a week, just heavy lifting, I felt like my muscles just felt so sore at the time. Or like I just felt so sore at the time, you know what I mean? Like I didn't feel mm. like with my, even with my posture, I feel like Pilates and yoga really helps with that. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, let me just go on a little bit with that. So, I mean, I first the stretching of the muscle in the Pilates and stuff is a little bit wrong. Like you're not going to, you can't change the length of a muscle. Like mm. the muscle is attached to bone the bones aren't getting longer. So how can the muscle be getting longer? It's, mm-hmm. it's a very, it's a, it's a branding, it's a marketing word of saying these kind of long and lean kind of muscles, or this is going to make you look long and lean that it's not, yeah, that's a little bit false. Um, but you can basically work on how much fat mass is within that muscle, um, which can obviously make it look thinner um, but still have strength, but you're just not carrying as much, I guess, what we would call energy inside of the, uh, of the muscle, which comes from fat. Um, mm. In terms of Pilates, yeah, I mean, look, when you said you're doing the strength work five or six times a week, yeah, that's excessive because you're, uh, remember, strength is really breaking down the muscle. So I, I often tell to ask people, I was like, when you've left the gym today, are you weaker or stronger? And even though you've come to do a strength session, when they leave, they're weaker. And that, yeah. that's, you know, that's proven by the fact that if I asked them to do push-ups when they first came in and push-ups when they're about to leave, they wouldn't have the, the strength to do the push-ups or as many as when they first arrived because you've broken down the muscle tissue, you've stressed the nervous system, which is like a battery. So the, and, and so they're, they're leaving weaker. So then you need to recover and you do need about 24 to 48 hours to recover from a good strength workout. Um, and that's where you get stronger is on your days off. And I think yeah. people people forget the importance of recovery and recovery is, is just as important as, as strength. And if you don't recover, you're going to break down and you're going to get injured and you probably get tired and you're going to get pick up illnesses and things like that, because not only is the muscle tissue not recovering, the nervous system's not recovering. And so that's why you've probably found Pilates to really be a nice mix up because you've got your, your strength work. That's really quite damaging to your body which then the body reconstruction gets stronger from but then you've got the pilates stuff which 
doesn't quite do the same. Like you get the burn in Pilates, but that's more of a chemical, localized chemical response. It's not exactly breaking down muscle um, and then getting and then rebuilding in a sense. So it's more about the the localized conditioning when you've got these high reps and this low resistance kind of work and what you're feeling there. And that and that's really stimulating more of what we call the slow twitch muscle fibers. And the the, sw- the slow twitch muscle fibers generally don't carry any bulk. And that's why when you're doing Pilates and, and strengthening the slow twitch muscle fiber, which are the long and lean ones compared to the fast twitch, which you're probably more stimulating when you do your strength training. Um, and that's where the size of the muscle can grow is more in your fast twitch and your strength training, but not mm-hmm. so much in your, in your slow twitch. And that's why a marathon runner is quite skinny. And the sprinter in the track hundred is, is a bulky muscular person because you've got your fast twitch versus your slow twitch. You've got your power versus your endurance. Um, yeah. and, and so that's the difference between the two. The other thing about Pilates is it does, it's really good for stability. I do, I do recommend the girls to do that a couple of times a week. Um, and I notice when someone's done uh, a, or has a background in Pilates, when they come to do the strength work, their foundations are better. You, you can't build strength without good stability. Um, and so they generally have good stability in their pelvis, their spine and their shoulders. And that yeah. sort of means that when they come in to do the gym work, um, they're just a step ahead than if they hadn't yeah. done that. Um, and, and so that's, that's really important there. Yeah, that's interesting. So would you recommend having the mix? Because I know a lot of girls and just kind of like a trending thing in general on social media is, you know, you're either the Pilates girl or the gym yeah. girl, but, yeah. you know, so, it's both important. Great question. I, I think the ideal week should look like, and, and I'm going to probably – this is more reference to women. Um, mm-hmm. They should be doing three days of strength training. Mm-hmm. The strength training is without doubt, probably one of the most important for women because women are much more susceptible to um, osteoporosis later in life because of menopause. So their bone density really drops away after, after menopause around 45 or what, or whatever age they go through it. And so having that strength training and building up that bone density at a younger age, it just means that they're going to be less susceptible to, um, I guess, the decline of their bone density as they get older. Um, not only that, but it, it does have so many more metabolic um, sort of uh, uh, sort of like when you when you do your strength training, you, you've got your your muscle fibers obviously uh, stimulated more, your nervous system stronger. Your, your your metabolism. I don't want to go into saying that your metabolism is faster or slower because that that's not quite correct. But um, you do have the ability to absorb glucose better and all these sorts of things. So you're that there's a lot of benefits that come from strength training. So I often yeah. say you need to do that three times a week. Um, the girls all seem to do Pilates or yoga, um, and they kind of seem to do more Pilates than anything else. And probably like they'll probably do like maybe three or four Pilates, maybe one or two strength sessions, and and maybe at best one to two cardio sessions, which is which is probably my biggest issue there because I do want them to be doing more cardio. Um, mm. And so really I would be saying three strength sessions, one, maybe two Pilates sessions just to fill the gaps and have some time off from the gym, and then two to three cardio sessions. But when I speak about cardio, um, I don't mean going and doing a Barry's or a high-intensity interval workout. What I mean by cardio is uh, a really slow 30 to 45 minute 
slow jog, for instance, it's what we call zone two training. So we're staying in this in this sort of heart rate zone between 125 to 145, which is, mm-hmm. which is our ideal fat burning zone. But it's okay. also not stressful on the nervous system. So it's, it's also can be looked at as quite recovery. So it's really good to complement the strength training recovery. But also in that zone is probably the most important thing is where we build mitochondria. Mitochondria, you can think of in the cell as like the energy factory. When we're born, we have a lot of mitochondria. And as we age, our mitochondria starts to deplete. The aging process actually comes from the depletion of mitochondria. The energy factories start to reduce in size and number. And therefore, our ability to use oxygen and food to produce energy starts to slow down and decrease. And that's where we start to feel that our metabolism is slowing down sort of thing that people talk about. It's where we see people physically age. Uh, It's where we see people become quite stiff and rigid in both the mind and the body and all their other hormonal systems. And so the cardio isn't for weight loss and fat loss and all that. What I really want the, the cardio for is for, again, for that health and longevity. I want you to be building more mitochondria, building larger mitochondria so that your ability to use oxygen and food as an energy source is, is, is really, really good and you're actually improving it and that's improving your fitness. And when you do that, when you do your strength training, you'll actually last longer and have more stamina and, and lift better and need less time between sets and get in and out of the gym quicker. So there's that side of the fitness to it as well. But unfortunately... Um, cardio is one of those things with most of the girls that come in when I ask the question, they're like, oh, no, we don't, we don't do cardio. Like everyone, <laughs> everyone hates it. And I think, the reason yeah, they, they do, it, <laughs> I think the reason everyone hates it is because people seem to think that cardio needs to be all out. It needs to be go as hard as you can for as long as you can and die. And it's like that, <laughs> that's, that's completely wrong. It's like I try to let people know that, an athlete, let's say an, an AFL player, has game day once a week. That's their match day. That's when they're going all out. During the week, it's all about recovery. And they're just, their recovery, they're working on their skills, they're doing their ice baths, and they're on the track doing some slow running and things like that because they know that they can't have game day every day. Otherwise, their performance is going to be really bad when it really matters, and they're going to get sick and injured and, and tired, and their body's just going to break down. It's not sustainable. And so I don't know why the general population think that they can outrun or outwork out a professional athlete in that sense where they go and they go to these gyms that do high-intensity classes like three, four, five times a week and then they realise after a few months they're burnt out and broken and seeing a physio all the time. Mm. The human body can't work like that it, it's like you're looking at a battery and when you do a, a high intensity interval training session you're depleting the battery on so many levels the nervous system the muscular system the the glucose the glycolytic system like everything's just being washed away and you need to recover from that and you need days off and that, and that's that's where i think people think that cardio is always hit training don't get me wrong like once a week i say go have game day and like the girl, like Dom will come in and we'll go, okay, so we're going to have game day today and that's going to be your all out and we're going to go and I, I might do it with her and we do a hit session together. And, and yeah, we, we really motivate each other and go as hard as we can because there is a benefit, uh, a fitness benefit with our VO2 max and there's a fitness benefit. It does actually build mitochondria as well. And 
but it's not a sustainable way like the zone two is where we can do it every day and not be depleting our store, not be depleting our, our sort of our, our nervous system battery. Um, and so we do that once a week. And it, that's the stuff that gives you that really good endorphins. But all exercise will. But high-intensity exercise can release this thing called prolactin, another hormone, which is a very much a relaxant that makes us feel really good afterwards. And if we're training with someone, then we get all these other sort of neurochemicals being thrown out there as well that make us feel good. Um, so I think a lot of people, they don't know how to pull back on the cardio. And so when I say to the girls, we're going to do a 30-minute jog and they're like so scared, I'm like, no, don't be scared. Like it's actually quite ridiculous how slow we're going to go. And, um, and it's almost like your ego, when I go out there and do it, you've got to pull your ego back a little bit because people are overtaking you. But you're like, no, I'm running according to a strategy in place. I've got an aim for this slow run. And it's not about, you know, showing how fast I can go. It's about I'm building mitochondria. I'm, I'm making my body, <laughs> I'm making my body better at energy. I'm burning fat and I'm getting healthier and I'm going to live longer by doing this slow running. And it's, yeah. it's I really want people to, to start to pick up. And what that looks like is you should be able to run next to your friend and have a full conversation without feeling out of breath. And if you can't do that, slow down. And mm. it's, it's funny because people think that walking is, you know, burning fat. I think that comes from shows like The Biggest Loser where yeah. I think because what, what's happening is that on those shows, you're talking about people that are carrying an excess amount of weight. So what's happening when they walk, just for them to walk, is a lot of energy. Their heart rate's already well above the zone two. And unfortunately for them, they find it really hard to burn fat because to find that heart rate level that they need to burn fat and to be able to sustain that for a while is really hard for them because of the amount of weight they're carrying. So they already surpass, they go past the fat burning stage straight into burning glucose and they can only last for, you know, 45 minutes or so before they completely fatigue and need to rest. Whereas the, the fit person that hasn't got carrying a lot of weight, they can find that fat burning zone and stay in it for much longer and probably work harder and still be in the fat burning zone before they need to rely on glucose uh, to, to take over when they're going all out. And so that's the unfortunate thing about people who are trying to lose weight and trying to be in the fat burning zone. It's really hard for them. But the fit people that don't need to lose weight, well, it's really easy for them to be in the fat burning stage. So yeah. walking, does, walking won't cut it for most of the population because it's just too easy and your heart rate will only get to about 100 beats per minute, which is which is recovery, but it's definitely not going to have any um, advancements on your mitochondria or your fitness. And so well, this is where the slow running just picks it up a little bit to about that 125, 130, 140 mark. And that's where we're right in that, 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 that zone where we're going to get the, the health benefits, the fat loss, and, and, and or not the fat loss, but burning fat as the primary energy source and all those sorts of things. So I say to people, if, look, if you can't run, the next best thing to do is to chuck on a weight vest or a backpack of about 10 to 15 kilos and then walk. And that, that extra weight will stress the heart so that the, and the body so the heart rate will go up on that. Um, and I think with that as well, it's, it needs to be on flat surfaces because once you start adding hills and things, well, you know you're going to be having spikes in your heart rate and the zone two stuff really needs to be a very... Um, sort of flatlined heart rate where you're in you're not undulating that it's just um it's staying at around the same heart 
rate the whole time. Once once you go up a hill, it's obviously going to go really high. And when you're coming down, it's probably going to go too low. And so hills aren't great for that kind of work. Right. And how, so you say with cardio, it should be like a slow jog. Yeah. How many times a week do you recommend doing that? And then also when you say with walking, it doesn't really do much. Does that mean, because you know how so, the whole so it, walking, walking doesn't do much in the sense of, of, of the fat loss and the heart rate and the mitochondria Walking, okay. is, walking is great. Don't get me wrong. Walking is really good for um, circulating the body, removing toxins, um, providing oxygen to the brain and tissues. So, yeah, wa- walking is a is really good for health. Um, okay. in, in <laughs> so the girls, they can still do their ten k stats. You can still do, <laughs> yeah, I still, I still want you to walk, but you're not. Yeah. It's not doing certain things that they may think that they're doing but you remember we're we're a fluid system most of our body is a fluid like 65 percent water and what's happening there is when the blood is pumping around our body the the arteries can basically the, the heart and the arteries pump the blood out to our peripherals to our limbs it needs to get back to the heart but the veins don't have muscle like the arteries do the smooth muscle so the veins rely on your big muscles to squeeze them which then forces the blood up against gravity and then there's a little valve that holds it from going back down to your feet and then it and then so the muscular contraction and the walking actually stimulates contraction of the main mu- of the bigger muscles which squeezes the 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 blood in the veins back to the heart and then the other thing that matches the veins is the lymphatic system so where all our toxins live it's also squeezing the toxins and they're going back to our lungs and we breathe out the toxins and we breathe out the fat that we're burning and all these sorts of things so so walking stimulates that circulatory process of the blood and the lymph to help us detox the body and to help us oxygenate the tissues and remove the carbon dioxide so and that's why sedentary people become quite unwell because they they aren't contracting their leg muscles and their bigger muscles to stimulate the return of the used blood and the toxins in the lymph back to the heart and the lungs to then be breathed out and pumped out. So that's where sitting down and the sedentary lifestyle breeds those metabolic illnesses like diabetes, obesity, cardiovascular disease, and, and, and cancer. Mm. Because the body's starting to become stagnant, that stagnancy, it's like, a, it's like a pond. You can have a clear pond, but over time it builds up with that pond scum. And if you're not, you know, draining it or moving that water with like a, a filter in a fish tank, for instance, it just builds up. And so mm-hmm. you need to keep water circulating like a stream to have fresh water all the time come through it. So that's what I say. Movement is the same as movement in water because that's what we are. So a stream is always healthy, drinkable water, but a pond that just sits there turns into toxic pond scum which you wouldn't even consider drinking i hope not so um i think that's a really nice analogy to help people understand that the importance of movement is to keep the fluids clean to keep your body clean it's like you're not hoarding everything inside your body and becoming sick and ill and that's you know fat is part of that but you'll see like people that don't move and i see this in the fire brigade a lot these really Mm. large people and their their ankles and things are really swollen and the, the reason being is because all that lymph is just swelling in their, in their lower limbs because gravity is keeping it down there. So movement 
basically provides the circulation and the health. So walking is definitely healthy and good for you. Uh, it's just mm -hmm. not going to provide you that with that mitochondrial benefit or that fitness benefit or that fat loss benefit as much as, as the slow running will. Okay. And then how many times a week do you recommend doing the cardio side of it? Yeah, right. For... Good. So going back to that, so three strength days, two to three slow zone two days, although I would say you can do you could do more if you wanted to really increase your fitness. Like because they're not draining your nervous system and they are they are still kind of considered as recovery, um, you can do that every day. But who, who's got the time for that, right? So, And you might find it a bit boring all the time. So that's why you do three strength days, two to three of the, slow, the zone two running days, and mm. then one to two what I call your play days. So whether that's Pilates or yoga or jiu-jitsu, whatever it is you like to do. And they can be done on, you, you can always, if you're doing a, a zone two day, you can do other exercise on that day, like the Pilates and things. You can do the strength in the zone two on the same day as well and give yourself a full day off if you wanted to. It really depends on your time and, and how that works. But yeah, the three strength days and the three, two to three cardio days are, are like, they should, you shouldn't compromise on that. Yeah. And for someone, because when you were saying about moving the body all the time and how important it is obviously to get um, walking and things like that, for someone who, you know, has a normal kind of nine to five job or just like sat sat down the majority of the time, yeah. how would you recommend like little tips and little ways that can keep their blood flowing and kind of improving their energy? Because I notice that if I'm, you know, at home doing admin all day, I begin to feel so like tired. But then the moment I get up and start doing something, it kind of, I feel like more energized straight away. Yeah. And that's just oxygen being delivered to the tissues because of the movement that's occurring to help circulate the the blood like we said so the look the first thing in in terms of what does the sort of the day look like for an office worker well the first thing they should do is be waking up just after sunrise and then going straight for a walk for 20 to 30 minutes and this also would include a uni student or a school student mm -hmm. um going outside to get that 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 20 to 30 minutes of cardio um this could be a walk it could be zone two it could be a, a little bit more than that but that not only is going to help um uh, getting the sunlight and, and sort of providing you with energy. Um, but in the brain, what's happening when you do that, it's also stimulating neurogenesis, which is like the production of new brain cells. So if you're a, a student or you're, you know, you're going to go to work that day and you create these new brain cells with this cardio first thing in the morning, like this 20 to 30 minutes of cardio upon waking, then um, you're going to have those new neurons inside your brain, which are going to be looking for things to attach to in that first part of the day when you're starting to learn. So it's going to help with your cognition, your, your mental um, focus, and also your memory because you've got these new neurons that you've developed through that exercise to then sprout out and attach to the other neurons in your brain to create those memories and to create those learning processes. So for any student wanting to, to do really well, getting that sunlight and that exercise first thing before they go to school is like the best thing they can, they can do. When you mm. get to the office, it's a bit of a different story. Like if I had my way, no one would be wearing their shoes in the office. You'd all be walking yeah. around barefoot for starters. Yeah. Um, and they talk about like sitting down being like the, the new smoking, but that's also a bit of a misnomer because it's not the sitting per se that is destructive to the human body. It's just the duration. So it's like we, we can sit. And you'll probably find that you're fidgeting and like I am now, my legs keep changing position. Yeah, We're naturally yeah. fidgeting because our body's telling us pain. I don't like this. I'm, I'm feeling pain. But when you're stuck into something on, on work, 
your focus and your attention is very limited. So you're focusing on your work and you're not listening to your body. And that's why when office workers go home at the end of the day and then their, their attention is no longer focused on work and their body's going knock, 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 I'm really sore after today, it's like they're, now they're paying attention to their body. So what mm. can they do to do that? It's just about frequently moving. So every 30 minutes getting up, going for a walk to, to grab a glass of water or, you know, just going outside to view nature that uses some long-distance um, viewing for your eyes, which is also helpful if you're always looking at your computer screen. Um, not only is it helpful for your eyes, but it's helpful for your mindset and and your focus. Um, and then it's and then you can put in like some people work out in the middle of the day, but that can be hard depending on how whether the office has got a gym and a shower and all those sorts of things, and and how people feel after a workout as well. But um, I would yeah, I'd definitely be advising to do that cardio in the in the morning keep moving during the office hours every sort of 30 to 45 minutes. Um, and that should be something like getting a glass of water. You can do 10 squats at the desk if you wanted to. Like, again, if it was my office environment, there'd be no shoes. Every 45 minutes, everyone's jumping up and doing squats together and high-fiving <laughs> each other and then going back because that's just stimulating the oxygen and you're going to get out of that sleep zone and you're just like waking yourself up. And yeah. then, at the end, then at the end of the day, Around four or five is actually when we're at our strongest in terms of, uh, say, testosterone and, and things. So strength training is, has been found to be most um, potent in that sort of later part of the afternoon. Um, mm, but some people, yeah, but some people do prefer to do in the morning. Maybe that's just because when they can do it. Um, but for me, I know that I guess I always did after school training with football and things. And so I love training in that, around that four or five o'clock. And I feel at my strongest, but there is there is some science that that shows that strength training is probably more optimal um, just because of our hormonal levels in the in the later part of the afternoon. What are your thoughts on, um, say, you know, people only have time to train in the morning before mm -hmm. work or whatever they do? What are your thoughts on people training on a, at a fasted state, so like they haven't eaten before, and it is something like quite strenuous, like strength training. Look, I think it's very much up to the individual. Um, the fasted state in terms of burning more calories and stuff, um, I wouldn't be thinking that – I wouldn't be doing fasted training if you think that you're going to be burning more calories and making an impact on, 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 on weight loss and fat mass and stuff like that. Um, that's a whole different conversation on, on energy systems that maybe we can do another time if we run out of time today. But um, – you, if you feel like you can train well at a fasted state when you f first wake up, well, great. Then and you've got the energy to sustain that. That's fine. Some people don't like training on a full stomach or you know having anything in their stomach beforehand. Um, I would always probably recommend having even like half a banana before a session. Um, mm. but that's just me. Um, it really depends on the individual. I, I'm not. I'm not an advocate of saying, yes, you should or you shouldn't. Um, I'm just saying that the science isn't that strong on whether or not it's having a, an effect on other things that you might be training for. Uh, I really think that if you feel like you've got the energy to sustain a workout without having eaten food beforehand, then that's fine. Make, but definitely make sure that you get your protein and your um, carbs and fats in quite soon afterwards to replenish. Um, but if you feel like you can eat and then train and not feel sick and that's you, well, that's great as well. Um, it's not having that big of an impact on, on your goals though. It probably like yeah. what people might think they are.
Yeah, because I want to go into, because I know you we, when we chatted before, you mentioned about um, the timing and, yeah, the timing of food and, like, how optimal it is to eat, you know, yeah. early in the day and that kind of thing. So do you want to kind of run us through why that is and yeah. how, like, the impacts it has on not only our health, but, yeah, I guess, like, mental clarity and mm. just all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so what we were speaking about there was the circadian uh, rhythms of the human body and to put it quite simply we have a body clock which most people are aware of um, which our central body clock which lies within our brain but I think what people probably aren't aware of is that every cell tissue and organ also have uh, all the cells in those have these things called clock genes as well so what we call our peripheral clocks our, our body clock, I think we generally as a population understand that it is somehow related to the day and the night, so the sunlight, and it, and it very much strongly is. So most of our body is in darkness, if you can imagine. It's underneath our skin. Our cells and tissues and organs don't know when it's day or night. But the sunlight coming in through the eyes stimulates these receptors in the eyes uh, called melanopsin, and basically that then talks to another part of the brain and says that it's daylight. And what that does is that part of the, the central body clock then releases hormones in the body because it understands it is daylight now. So it's going, okay, so I'm going to release cortisol. I'm going to release insulin. I'm going to do all these things to elevate these energy hormones and these um, other hormones that we know we need to have energy for the, for the day. And so what happens at nighttime when the sun goes down, and it's really important that you, you see the sun set as well, we're preparing the body for sleep and the, the body's now starting to understand that, oh, it's nighttime now, so we know that we're going to sleep during the nighttime, so other hormones kick in and other hormones shut down. Um, and what's important to understand nowadays with technology being the way it is is that people can be up or, out, or throughout the night whether it's for work online because they're working for an international company or shift workers mm. like nurses and firefighters or uni students are up studying and stuff. And, and I think people don't understand how detrimental that is to our health because we're working in complete opposition to the natural cycle that we've evolved on um, within ourselves, in our, our hormonal system and our circadian rhythms. And so the peripheral clock genes, they're definitely influenced by the central clock but they're also heavily influenced by the timing of food and so when you when you consume food the the brain predicts when food's coming based on kind of what your routine of food coming in is and 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 hunger is more based on habit association than on the need for food because we know we can last a week without food but we get hungry mm. at times that that hunger at certain times comes from those clock genes saying predicting foods normally coming in about now, secreting hormones, preparing for food to enter, here we go. Oh, where's the food, for instance? Oh, I'm hungry. So that's that sort of response we get. Um, so, so the timing of sunlight and food is really important that we, we time it so it's aligned with our natural circadian rhythms, which we evolved from. So if we start with sunlight, the best thing you can do is wake up shortly after sunrise and then view the morning sun. That stimulates a higher um, peak of cortisol, which people think of as a, a stress hormone, but it's actually our energy hormone. And it's our energy hormone 
associated with stress because when we're in a time of stress, we're generally going to need energy to otherwise fight or flight. And so people associate cortisol with stress, but it, it's, it's a really good hormone that we need with adrenaline. And so that peak from the sunlight, sunlight viewing first thing in the morning wakes us up. Like I often say, if you ever go camping and you feel that kind of, you wake up and you're a little bit sluggish and the face hits your sun and you start to feel warm and fuzzy and you're feeling awake, that, like, that's amazing. That's the sun feeding you energy, okay? So we're getting the energy from the sunlight. And, um, and then when we have um, our first meal, it generally should be about one to two hours after waking. So generally I'd say I'd have my wake up with sunrise, go for that 20, 30 minute walk, have my coffee about an hour after waking. And then shortly after my coffee, I'm having my, my, my first meal. And my first meal, I want that to be my largest meal because the body is about to go through a day and a day is gonna require a lot of energy. So you need to give the body all that energy that it's gonna need to sustain for productivity for the day. And with that is that our cortisol and our insulin and our gut motility, so gut motility being our ability to digest food, they're all at their maximum in the AM. So when I have a big meal, I'm going to be able to absorb all that food better. I'm going to be able to digest it and pass it through my system better so it's not going to stick around for as long. Um, and then I'm going to have the energy. I'm not going to feel tired. I'm going to feel ready to go for that day. And I'm going to be able to sustain that until lunchtime. And then at lunchtime, things are starting to come down a little bit. I have a moderate-sized lunch. And then at dinner time, the body's starting to prepare for, for bed. And so and it knows that we don't need energy when we sleep. So you, I have a light meal before, just shortly after the sun sets around. Well, for me, I have dinner around 5, five o'clock. And I have mm -hmm. around 7.30, for instance. And that's, that's my time. But after dinner, I don't have any more calories. It's just water or a herbal tea because this, the minute I put in another calorie, whether it's one piece of chocolate or some sugar in a, in a tea or honey in a tea, the body will recognize the calorie and it will start the cascade of hormone release that says food is coming. And if that cascade release occurs, the body thinks, fat storage mode because whenever food is being ingested the body creates this fat storage mode based on evolution because we evolved in times of food scarcity and times where you had to move a lot to get to food whether it was to forage and, and gather berries and fruits and things or if it was to hunt for, or fish um, and so the, the human body evolved to be very very good at storing fat and the reason why we're having such a problem with fat storage now is because we live in a world full of abundance that can be created through Uber Eats and we don't have to move to get food and we can eat as much as food as we like. So we're, again, we're in a complete opposition to our evolutionary structure there. The one thing that hasn't changed is our ability to store fat hasn't decreased. It's stayed the same. And that's why we're becoming really good at storing fat. And so having that calorie after dinner is just telling your body to keep storing fat. When we don't have food in that fasted state, that's our fat burning state. It makes sense. There's no food coming in. The body's going to have to break down something, whether it's fat or glucose, but in most cases fat, to provide the body with the energy that it needs to, to sustain uh, organ function and stuff while we are sleeping. So we're doing most of our fat burning when we sleep, when there's no food in the system. 
And that means that our gut gets to get cleaned out and it's really good for our gut health. Um, we're going to have a better sleep because the blood isn't being poured into the gut. It's being poured mm. into the brain so the brain can then focus on the internal environment, on healing and, and immunity and all these sorts of things and recovery. And, um, and so then we're, we're organizing our, our food um, content in a way that aligns with our natural hormonal and circadian rhythms and that's going to give us a lot of health and longevity and it's going to ward us off from metabolic diseases and the, there's tribes like the Hadza in, in in Africa that that eat like this and view sunlight like this and treat it that way and they don't suffer from metabolic diseases like obesity diabetes cardiovascular disease mm. they have to worry about infections and they have to worry about the elephants and the hippos and the and the lions but they they don't have these metabolic diseases like we do in our societies in, in modern day societies because they have to move a lot to get food 19,000 steps a day on average and then what they all gather they have to share around um so that brings them all together but it's also they understand that it's scarce so they're eating mindfully and then they they store just enough fat to keep them going because you don't need a lot of fat to produce a lot of energy um and, and, and that's how it works. Whereas if a I have a lot of the girls that come in and I ask them about their, their, their timing of their eating. And it's quite often the case where they skip breakfast, they have a fairly moderate lunch and then have a really big dinner. And so mm. if you were to look at a graph, like it's in complete opposition to their natural rhythm. They're feeding themselves to give them as much energy as they can before they go to bed, which is meant to be our fat burning mode. But, all they're doing is putting food into their belly and it's making more of a fat storage mode. And, and it, it's really, it's sort of against the grain on, on their health. And so they're having, they're wondering why they're putting on weight and why they're not sleeping well and why they're tired and why their hormones are out and all these things. And it, a, a lot of it has got to do with the way and the timing that they're, they're eating their food. Oh, but I'm not hungry in the morning. Well, that's because you still got a full belly because when you had that late dinner, your body's really bad at digesting. That gut motility is really slow, so it's just stuck around in your belly. All the glucose you ate, well, you have no insulin in the evening, so that means that the glucose just got sent to your liver to get transferred into fat. And so there's all these things that happen, whereas in the morning, the insulin's really high. So if you have your carbohydrates, the insulin will be released to help absorb the glucose into the cell and produce energy from it. It won't, mm. it won't turn carbs into fat. But when you eat your carbs late at night, and there is no insulin, you're going to turn all that carbohydrates into fat because it's excess energy and the, the cells can't use it without insulin because it's the lock and key to let the glucose in. Um, right. so, and it's like our society is so we, – we love going out for our dinners and things late at night and having, having the alcohol content and stuff, but it's probably the worst thing that we can do for our health. Um, yeah. It's like – you know, I, I heard someone say that like having your can of Coke at midday is healthier than having a salad at nine o'clock at night. And people would go, well, how do, you, how do you mean that? It's because the body can, can manage and digest and metabolize the can of Coke, but it can't do that with it even as no matter how healthy the salad is at nine o'clock at night, the body, the hormones just aren't in the position to digest and absorb the energy that's coming in. So it's um, around and yeah. Okay, and that just depends on obviously, like for example, someone that might be traveling a lot and that kind of thing, or mm. someone that isn't able to eat at exactly you know when the sun goes down and they have to eat later. Yeah. What advice would you give them? Sure. So, look, 
the 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 most important thing is routine and consistency here. Mm-hmm. So, look, if I was telling someone that if they wanted to to improve their health rather quickly and lose a little bit of fat mass, then I would say you've got to do that sort of have your breakfast between say seven thirty and eat between seven and five or eight and five, and have have that fourteen or sixteen hour break of fasted from dinner to breakfast time. Um, now, and you do that every day without fail for a month and watch your health markers improve. And, and they will improve, especially blood pressure and other um, hormonal markers. The, the, whether you lose fat or not is more dependent on the individual in terms of how much fat they carry. Um, but then, so if you can't do that consistently, um, there's a few ways around it. So if you have to have a later dinner, the best thing you can do is go for a walk for about 20 to 30 minutes after dinner because the walking is going to stimulate um, the muscle to basically produce, uptake the glucose, but also to help kind of digestion. So it's going to improve the gut motility and reduce the amount of time that the food's going to be in, in, in the gut itself. Um, and then yeah, they, they do know now that, that exercise does open up the cell to receive glucose. So you're going to basically help absorb the glucose and reduce the amount that's going to be sent to the liver and converted to fat um, after that meal. So, so yeah, I often say if you, if you have a later dinner, try to go for a walk um, for 20 to 30 minutes after dinner and, and don't have anything, obviously, after, after that meal. Um, yeah. That's probably the best thing you do. Should you then push breakfast back a little bit? Probably not. You want to try and stay consistent with your routine and then make sure that you don't blow out dinner again and try and bring it back to to that sort of yeah. five o'clock, six o'clock period. Now, people are going to think, how do I have dinner at five o'clock? I'm still in the office. So then you have to go, okay, well, let, let's push it back to six, 6.30 maybe, which is what people do, and maybe push breakfast back to nine o'clock. But remember that it's not breakfast that might be breaking their fasted period. It might be the milky coffee or the, co- or the black coffee with sugar. So anything that's mm. got that calorie, if you have that coffee at seven, well, that means that your fasted state has stopped at that time you have coffee. If it's a black coffee or a, a green tea, there's no calories, you're still in a fasted state until breakfast. But if you want to have that fasted state where that fat burning is occurring, then you have to make sure that your coffee doesn't have a calorie, milk or sugar in it, um, or you just go without that coffee and just wait until breakfast time so you get the maximum benefit of that fat burning sort of period. Mm. And it does it does it matter that much that you know, say if it's just that one milky coffee or whatever, that's still it like, does matter that much. Yeah, makes, as soon, as, soon yeah. as the calorie goes into the mouth and the enzymes figure it all out and tells the brain that there's food coming in, yeah, it just it changes the whole cascade of hormones that's going to occur. So it really does matter that that little calorie mm. that's going in from sugar and milk in the coffee to changing whether you're in a fasted state or not. Um, okay. Yeah. And for people that might be confused on, say, what to eat, because then you were like, you know, the whole thing about having coke in the middle of the day is healthier than salad yeah. at night. Yeah. How would you recommend kind of yeah, yeah, planning your meals throughout the day then? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think when we look at the three variables of food on timing, what to eat and how much, the how much is probably what most people uh, are told to, to count the calories in part and then mm. the calories out. And I think, you know, I, I reckon we should do another podcast in the future about energy systems and talk about that because we won't have 100%. time today. But 
I don't care so much about the calories in or how much your food you're eating. What I care about is when you're eating your food and what you're eating. And the what basically should be stuff that comes from the earth. So we call them whole foods. So, you know, your, your meats, chickens, poultry, your fish, your vegetables, your fruits. If you're eating stuff that, look, that came from the, the earth, then your brain recognizes that food. It recognizes the energy content of that food. It's evolved off that food for thousands of years. It's going to make a really good prediction about how much energy you've just consumed and when you're full and when you need to stop eating, especially if you eat it slowly and mindfully. If you eat processed food, stuff that comes from a packet um, or it's been pre-made or whatever's happened to it, preservatives, additives, all that kind of stuff, if it doesn't look like it came from nature, then the brain, this is new food to the brain, you know, and whether it's 50 or 60 years old, that's new. So it's the brain's going to try to predict how much energy has come from that food, but it's going to make errors because it's, it's a new it's a new food source for it, um, not to mention the bad stuff that can be added to that food as well. And so even though the, the brain will make a pretty good prediction, it could be out by 100 or 200 calories in terms of how much food and how much energy you've eaten from that processed meal. Now, that might not seem a lot. You go, I can burn that in the gym, but that's a different story altogether. But what happens is that one to 200 calories every day of, of sort of error over a, a month or two can can equate to three or four kilos of weight gain. So the calories in, calories out thing, hey, as hard as it is, and I'm not a big advocate of it um, because I'm more of an advocate of the timing and what you eat will be a better method and strategy. Um, and so if you can eat the earth foods and you can eat it that within that time frame that we spoke about, then you don't have to worry about how much and you're going to you're going to feel great and you're going to look great and you're probably going to drop kilos if you are carrying extra kilos and you're going to have energy and you're going to feel really good and your health markers are going to improve. So just, just stuff that comes from the earth is, is, is the main thing there. Like the whole calories in, calories out thing is kind of what everyone knows and what everyone thinks. Yeah. Like that's well, how I'm going to be. Simplified. I, the human body is the most complex system that I know of and it, it's, it's so complex that to say that, that, say, fat loss, for instance, is based purely on two numbers of calories in, calories out and to simplify the human body that way is just to kind of disrespect it in terms of its intelligence and its ability to and what it does. It's like, no, the, the human body will take food and... And we're still trying to figure out so much about how and why and all this kind of stuff. But so to just simplify it to, to in and out methodology of, of, of calories is, is really like is an approach that, oh, that sounds simple. It's worked because we can see that people have calorie counted and biggest losers and stuff on the television that have done that kind of thing. And they, it's, it's everywhere, right? So people jump on it. But science changes all the time and five years ago what may have been accurate was disproved and now it's completely changed and people have got to keep up with the science they've got to keep researching and keep reading the books and the literature and following the anthropologists and and you know the the, the scientists out there that are doing the work which is which is what i do i, I just continually read um up on all the the new things and and that's what gives me my i guess knowledge but 
the more I learn, the more I get to share with everyone like I am with you and, the, and your listeners. So, and that makes me feel really good that I'm, I'm helping them um, try to simplify things to a way that, that will work, which calories in is actually really difficult because if you ever tried counting calories, it's a nightmare. Uh, and like, yeah. I wouldn't recommend any, it's, that's just going to stress you out. So, um, yeah. so and that's what I mean. Like I, like I've been there and like counted, like done the whole calorie counter thing. And like, yes, it does work. But then the stress that it has on your mindset and then also, you know, it can, yeah, just really stress you out and then make you feel like restricted in ways. And then I feel like that stress alone, if anything, makes you gain weight. Well, that's kind of true. But the reason why it works in the short term is because you're depleting the body of energy. But in the long term, there's the rebound effect, which most people will rebound because their food habit, their timing of when they're eating and what they're eating is bad and that matters so much more than the calories in part and so you're you're going to restrict your calories you're going to lose weight you're going to put it back on if your food and eating habits aren't in order like we discussed with the timing and what you're eating purely because they outweigh the calorie part because the human body um you know you're not functioning and running with the in alignment with the way your body is is running and so it's going to store the fat like we say we have the late dinner you've got that's more dangerous to storing fat than than mm. uh, overeating you know yeah and when you're eating in a restricted time frame you, you're very rarely going to overeat because there's only so much food you're going to feel like you want to eat that day when you've got to eat between an eight hour window a 10 hour window so yeah that 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 suppression of time will also restrict you from overeating uh, having too many calories because you're um if you're eating the earth foods because we know if we uh, if we have chocolate and popcorn and so we could just <laughs> there's so many calories in that and it's not filling you up and so you can overeat with the processed food so that's again why what you eat is more important than how much yeah yeah i feel like how we much- definitely need to do um another episode all on kind of specifically even with food and then with like just more yeah well i'd love to go into the energy systems in another in another episode where we talk about because i think i blow people's minds when i tell them about the fact that when they're going to the gym and they do 500 calorie workout and that's not actually an excess of 500 calories they've burnt Mm. that day and we look at the constraint theory of energy systems where if we went into that topic and people realize what exercise is really doing in terms of energy regulation as opposed to burning calories, um, I think that would be something your your listeners would be really into and and, and it's quite eye-opening and mind-blowing yeah, definitely. when you talk about that. And would you say the whole thing around, obviously, food and time, that's kind of like a universal tip for everyone because obviously everyone's so individual, right, and the things that they eat and the times that eat, it really depends on what works for them. That, that, would you say for someone who just like, Say someone, you know, they they came to you and they said they've been doing everything right, such as working out four or five times a week and, you know, mix of strength and cardio and all that, eating whole foods, that kind of thing, but they're still not seeing the results that they want to see. What would be the things that you would question and kind of, you know, give them advice on that? Yeah, well, first of all, the first question about is it for everyone? Yeah, it is. Um, the the time-restricted eating, there is no negative to it. They've they've got no it's quite a new concept and they've got no 
long-term studies in terms of 20 to 30 years studies um, because it is quite new. But what they do know is that there are no negative effects to eating in that way. Um, and the people that are going to benefit most are probably the people that are got the, the least health. So their, their health markers improve a lot more dramatically than people that are already living a pretty healthy lifestyle and they're just adopting a, a, a more stricter time eating frame. So, um, yeah, it, it is for everyone and, it, and there's, there are no um, negatives to it. It's just going to improve mm -hmm. your health and your longevity and your, your health markers and, and ward off illness and disease. In terms of if someone's doing everything right, well that, that's a pretty open-ended question and pretty tough to get at. But what I would be looking at then is things like, so sleep routine, you know, what time are they going to bed? What time are they waking up? Uh, are, they, are they viewing bright light late into the evening? Um, are they eating late? Because that could be in, in, interrupting their sleep. So sleep is the number one um, mm. in terms of our recovery and our health. Um, without sleep, we are... We're not going to last very long um, or function very well at all, and we know that. And um, and maybe we can talk about sleep in the other episode as well if we do another one. And then yeah. um, so I'd, I'd first look at sleep, and then I would look at uh, their stress, so their, their their lifestyle and their stress, because if they're overstressed and they're always in this chronic stress, and by stress that could be just exercising too much because of the amount of stress that's going on in their life. So sometimes you've got to pull back and like for instance if you're sick in bed the last thing you're doing is getting out of bed to go to the gym your body is telling you i need energy for healing inflammation immunity recovery i don't need to give you energy for exercise and this is where that thing about exercising burning more calories comes into it because it doesn't uh it's just about the modification and, and where does that energy that the, the human body produces where does it go you know, when you're up and about and you don't need to heal or anything, they, you can exercise better. We know that. Mm. If we're exercising too much, we lose our reproductive system because we're taking energy away from that, from that system because the body wants to exist before it needs to evolve. And because you're stressing it out with too much exercise, you're taking away your reproductive system. And then you're also in too much cortisol. It's the cortisol is not being drained during the night, during sleep, and so you're always in elevated cortisol, and that can have impacts down the line on other hormones, which lead to fat storage and stuff like that as well. So it's definitely sleep and stress and lifestyle and, um, and looking at the quantity of exercise and whether, and, and, and whether that exercise is just compounding stress or not is, is something that um, I would be addressing. How would someone know if they're doing too much exercise? It's a good question. Um, if they're feeling burnt out, if they're feeling tired, they can't last the day. If they're getting injured, if they're starting to feel sick, um, if they're moody, just think of like stress doesn't like the body doesn't recognize stress and go, Oh, well that's exercise stress and that's relationship stress and that's emotional stress and that's hormonal stress and that's the traffic stress. And that's, you know, it doesn't recognize stress like that. The, the stimulus coming into the body changes, but the response inside the body is exactly the same, adrenaline, cortisol, and, mm. and it basically, it doesn't, that doesn't change. So you're going to start to recognize if, if you're feeling stress and tense all the time, and I, and I recognize this, so I'm very well self-aware about my body. And I know that if I've been working hard for a few months, 
that my my training's probably dropped a little bit. I'm not reading a book as much because I just don't have that clarity and I'm always sort of like on the go. And I know that I need to take a week off in nature and just go away and not have anything and just to recover. And then when I do that and I've just spent a week in nature, walking and just relaxing and, and restoring my my overall nervous system battery which is on the on, on a on a chronic level um and restore that nervous system that when i come back i'm good i'm fresh i'm good to go again and i'm i'm aware of that but some people otherwise aren't aware or they just they're just not giving enough to say i'm taking a week off for myself because i feel like i need it i'm going to take it so that i can then improve my relationships at home and with my partners and my work productivity and my ability to exercise will all improve but some people just keep slamming that door shut and keep pushing and grinding and grinding and the body gets sick you get a disease or you get ill or you get injured and that's the body saying i i told you i was knocking on the yeah. door you didn't answer and i'm i'm going to make you like and that's it and that's it's making you stop um and so you know stress compounds and you have to be aware if you're in a period of work or you're going through a, a breakup and stuff you don't need to be hammering high intensity and even your strengths can pull back a little bit just do more of the slow zone stuff you know do more of the play stuff stuff that stimulates good feelings and doesn't stress you out and doesn't like hurt the body as much but actually gives back to the body and the mind and you can still exercise but in that giving way as opposed to taking away from your battery all the time because there's too much other things happening in your life that are that are draining that battery and, and you need to restore it and that's why yeah. i think that's why i think the um the whoop bands and some other products out there that really look at recovery and and heart rate variability are, are, are pretty useful tools for people that are unaware of how they feel and of their stress levels and how they may be needing to take a break sometimes these things will tell them you haven't recovered enough to be working out you still haven't recovered enough to be working out four days later you still haven't recovered enough to working out and that's telling you that there's too much stress in your life and i can't recover the nervous system over four days because i've got too much going on i'm not getting enough sleep and i'm burning the battery even without exercise so um yeah those tools those sorts of things can be pretty handy tools to have to help you kind of see that something's going on and maybe i need to pull back a little bit yeah and it's all about just listening to your own body and finding that balance because you're right like sometimes if you feel sh too stressed with work or whatever like doing then thinking and stressing about oh my god i have to get this workout in isn't really gonna help so no. yeah let's definitely look at it from yeah you've, you've got to learn to tune in and that can be kind of scary sometimes because sitting in silence can be hard and then you know and i, I talk about this as, as a concept that i created called stress flexibility where people are okay in low stress environments and people are okay in pretty calm like they can sit in the park but if you had to sit in complete silence or if you were put into an ice bath which is like the equivalent of a complete chaos how do you react then how is your how how do you re react to that high amount of stress that feels like you're just got these like a million needles going into you from the ice bath or how do you how do you deal with the fact that there is no stress but now your mind is talking to you and what's it saying and is that stressing you out and are you okay in complete silence are you okay in complete chaos and that's what i also train with the the, the girls and people that come into the gym is i 
I give them tips on improving their stress flexibility, much like I give them tips in improving their musculoskeletal flexibility, their cardiovascular flexibility, their hormonal flexibility. The human body needs to be flexible in all its systems and parts in order for it to be healthy and live for a long time. The one thing you notice with aging is that people get stiff. They get rigid in their bodies. Their movement Mm -hmm. starts to become rigid. Their mind starts to become rigid. They're really hard to change someone's mind when they're, you know, 70 or 80. They're quite stuck onto their ideas and things. It's all about the, the flexibility of all their systems starting to become stiffer and more rigid. And we want to promote fluidity and malleability and flexibility through all those systems, whether it's stress or your heart or your muscles or your tissues or your brain. Yeah. And what are the couple things that you would do with the girls to uh, test the stress? Oh, look, I think the first one is definitely the easiest one, but they, they cringe it. And that's just starting the day and um, with a, with your shower, but finishing your shower with a 30 second cold shower. Yeah. I do that every day. Yeah. It never gets easier. (laughs) Especially on the days where there is no sunlight or the cloudy or it's rainy that cold shower is going to stimulate more cortisol and that's that spike that we're looking for in the morning that the sunlight that's not there can't give us. So that's how we can chase, excuse me, that's how we can chase it. And then it also gets them into that zone where they have to take a foot out of comfort and step into, ah, <laughs> just like, yeah. kind of like, I don't want to do this. And then they're going to, how long are they going to sit in there for? And can they, can they stay there for 30 seconds? Good. Let's do that for a few weeks, but let's get it to two to three minutes so that we're getting the immunity um, boosting response mm-hmm. to it as well. And I do it every day. I've been doing it for years. Um, so, and, yeah. and I used to get sick a lot and I don't get sick at all anymore, touch wood. So, um, and yeah. I think a lot of it's got to do with, with, with the way I'm living my life in optimization with my, my human body and then b- boosting my immunity through these sorts of cold water exposure and, and so mm. on. 100%. Okay, I'm going to ask you two last questions because okay. I feel like we can literally just talk for hours. Yes, we can. Um, about this. So we definitely have to get you on again next time. Mm-hmm. But um, we kind of missed this in the beginning, but normally when we open the episode, we always have an affirmation of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, but we kind of went straight into it. So I want to ask you, what would be your affirmation of the week that you could give to our uh, listeners? Oh, that's a really good question. Look, I think in recent times... Um, in recent times, I would have to say that what I've been focusing in, focusing on is courage. Um, and I think courage is vulnerability. And I get that from Brene Brown's um, books and, and YouTube and her Netflix docker. If you haven't seen it, it's called The Call to Courage by Brene Brown. And I, I think so. I am courageous. I am vulnerable are probably the two affirmations that I would I would be aligned with uh, in recent times. And I think that's really helped me, especially with social media, to be a little bit more myself, not just yeah, and, and, and try to just share share a little bit more about me, um, even coming on this podcast, for instance, um, just doing things where I, I'm getting, uh, I'm feeling okay to share myself on these platforms and not just the information, but a little bit more about my character and, and yeah. who I am and and, and and that can take courage and vulnerability. But what's been received from that is thanks and gratitude and acknowledgement and 
um, familiarity with everyone else. And, and I think people, if they see someone like me, the firefighter, the personal trainer, you know, the footy player, blah, 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 do that, I'm hoping that they will um, feel safe enough to do it as well and to, to get something out of that. And because there's such a freeing element to it to, to just let that go and to be okay and understand that your self-worth, like for, my, for me, my self-worth, I feel comes from my, my knowledge and my brain and my, my view on life and how I, my experiences, um, nothing mm-hmm. to do with anything else. And, um, and I love that. And I'm really happy about that. And, um, and I think that being able to just open up it frees a lot of weight on your mind and, and, and it just lets you be you and gives you a lot of freedom. And uh, I, I really love the feeling you get from having a tough conversation or opening up or getting somebody else to open up when they trust you and feel safe enough as well. I have a lot of those moments in the gym and, and, um, and I see just the, the weight off their shoulders. And maybe it's almost a good thing to finish on is I often say to someone that, um, and I've posted this before that it's often not the weights in our hands that are the ones holding us down the most, but the weights that are in our mind. Um, wow, I've never heard that before, but I love that. I think okay. I made it up, to be honest. <laughs> it was just something I thought of one, one day when, yeah. I was, when I was training. And, um, you know, like we know how to put weights down from our hands, but sometimes it's really hard to know how to put the weight on our shoulders and our heads down. And that's just one of the best ways that I know is to communicate um, and to to be vulnerable and to share your story um, because everyone has their own story and no one's mm-hmm. going to, you know, no one's going to put you down for sharing your your own story. That that's your life. That's your that's you. That's who made you who you are. And, yeah. and people are going to find similarities or things that they go, wow, you know. Um, in your story and that just helps you relate to people and brings you together yeah no I really love that because I think in those moments when you are courageous and you are being vulnerable it's a freeing yourself to be like okay I'm I'm accepting myself yeah and then also when you do share those stories you don't know who you're gonna help and it could be someone just like hearing like a snippet of your story and they have never like related to anyone before but they hear that and they're like wow that makes me feel like I can kind of express myself and be proud of myself. So, mm. yeah, I love that affirmation. And that's why I want to get you on again because I feel like we didn't really talk much about your story and I know it's a credible story. So mm. I'd love to, yeah, get you on again and, like, for the listeners oh, to hear about yeah, that. Yeah, I'd love that. I'd love that. Yeah. Um, and do you have a challenge of the week that you can give our listeners as well oh. that maybe you can do yourself too? Yeah. Um well, I have many challenges. I <laughs> I honestly think that from our discussion today, I think the best challenges you could otherwise give yourself are to wake up just after sunrise, maybe okay. try that one and go for a walk. Or if you already do that, then I'd say try the cold shower for 30 seconds every day for a week, no, two weeks, make it a habit. Um, and if you already do that, then... Uh, I would say try to have your dinner around, you know, before 6 p.m. And, and uh, if you do the other two and try and try and see and do that for a week without, without fail, be consistent, be routine, 
don't mm-hmm. even if you go out with your friends for a drink just have water or something without calories right and, and try that and, and see because I know after a week you, you'll even feel a difference because I did when I when I first did it and um, yeah. and so I'd say that otherwise cold shower dinner by six or uh, wake up with the sunrise and go for a for a walk for 20 to 30 minutes and uh, without sunglasses because you want to get the sunlight into your eyes and yeah. um, I reckon they're probably three really good challenges that aren't too hard but if you can do them every day for a week, you've done pretty well and um, you can build some success from from each of those. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to choose the waking up at sunrise one. Okay, I know that's going to be tough for you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, you know, it's a good challenge to do. And, yeah, because I kind of – I do the shower one. Yep. Dinner one, like, I, to be fair, ever since we had that conversation about – eating dinner earlier I've been taking men- mental note of that and been yeah. trying to do that yeah um so yeah I'm gonna try the sunrise one but amazing well thank you Maybe. so much for coming on to the podcast it was so insightful and I'm sure that our listeners would have literally loved this episode and just yeah loved everything you're about um you. we definitely need to have you on again but is there anything else that you want to leave our listeners with um no not really I think um and where could they can find you on social media as well? Oh, right. Yeah. Well, um, you can just search for my name. So it's Giannis underscore Blooms on Instagram. Um, I did make a TikTok recently. <laughs> I'd have to, I think it's called PT. Oh, I'd have to find it. I, I can't even remember. But okay, go to, go, go to my Instagram. That's where I do all my all my work. I upload a lot of videos. Um, I think if you if you go to my Instagram and you go through my stories, like particularly my story highlights, um, or if you go through my posts, there's so much of my knowledge out there. All my posts, I try and put a lot of my words into the posts. Yes, there's a video of somebody training, but if you go and have a look at the post, you'll find that there's a lot of dialogue that is mm-hmm. um, otherwise related to the workout itself or just related to us as humans. Um, and same with my stories. Go through there and there's a lot of content because I share a lot of content with my followers. I don't generally post a lot of my content to everyone. I, I, I just feel like if you're going to follow me, then I'm going to give you what I produce and, and that, that's my gift for you following me. I don't generally go looking for followers. I don't need to try and build a, a following that's going to make me an influencer or anything like that. I don't, I don't want to. I just want to spread my, my knowledge and my message to the people that want to jump on board and follow me and, and I respect um, them for that. So I want to give them all that. Um, that might change in the future if I need to be a bit wiser with my social media. But um, no, I think that's the best way to be on social media. Yeah. It is just to give value to others, right? Yeah. And, and the, probably the last thing is that it's pronounced as Giannis. So like people, people always come into the gym for the first time and they're like, Janice? And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, no, absolutely not. People, I've trained, there's some people that I've trained for a year, they still will say Janice when they walk in and I'm like, oh my God. It's Yana. It's, it's, it's a terrible name. I love my name, but it's a terrible name for English. Uh, yeah, it's definitely not a Janice. Guys. No, no, not a not a Janice. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, and look, I do get a lot of messages and DMs and requests and stuff for training. Um, I try to respond as much as I can. I I'm not. I don't really get to take more clients on because I am fully booked all the time. But um, I am create, I am creating an educational strength program and coaching platform which is in development and it's not far away and that's 
when I launch that, I want that to be a way that someone that hasn't been to the gym for the ever can go and pick it up and learn exactly what to do. Um, and I want people that do go to the gym to pick it up and go, oh, that's a better way or, oh, I didn't know that. And just a really good coaching tool for people to improve their technique and their approach to training. There's going to be a neuroscience ebook attached to that, which has got a lot to do with the stuff that we've spoken about. And um, so I'm trying to get that out as soon as I can. It's just with so much work, it's hard to do both. Um, but everyone's going to Europe except for me. So hopefully I'll have a little bit more free time to work on that. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I can't wait for that to come out. It'll be so useful for everyone. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you again. And until next time, we'll speak to you soon. Great. Thanks, Shannon. Thank you. Bye. Bye.